Hi, welcome to Madison Bookbeat. I'm Angie Trudell Vasquez. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with poet Maria Elena Scott and her book, Love Letter to My Brother Juan, a memoir in prose, poems, and found text. Mary Elena, thank you so much for being here today. And I would like for you to start by reading uh, the poem called The Bilingual Person That I Am, and that is on page 119. I'd be happy to. Thank you. The Bilingual Person That I Am. I am a Madison, Wisconsin transplant, where graceful swirls are the four jeweled lakes and the Fox River meandering along Highway 45, where my first snow was the past tense, snowed, not the present progressive form of the verb snowing, plop, I thought eight inches came down at once, where street names are numbers and trees, orchard, elm, ash, regent, and university avenue where I graduated with a bachelor's degree, able to teach in English and Spanish, recognized on quality paper, fancy seal paper, bilingual. Matamoros, Mexico, born and raised the first decade of life, where graceful swirls are calla lilies, morning glories, spinning raindrop crystal tops, and Juan looking out for me, where street names are flowers, rosas, claveles, and Avenida Benito Juarez y Calle La Revolución. Burned corn smells and pat cake echoes of making tortillas. Musica heard from the other side where the wall was made of gray cinder blocks and dollops of cement on top held jagged shards of broken glass like crowns. Conchas de chocolate and gingerbread pan dulce bakeries we called panaderias. Patriotic parades, un soldado en cada hijo te dio, every son a soldier anthem, every daughter too, las adelitas in silk dresses at the dance, hoist cinnamon brown veil a full 360 degrees, embroider all the shades that melanin makes into curly cues, weave all the loves that ever were, celebrate your coming out language, lenguaje, cultura, Reclaim all that is you, mama earth, mud cocoon, water lily emerging, multi-petal beauty. Ah, oh, thank you. I love the, the images at the end. Mama earth, mud cocoon, water lily emerging, multi-petal beauty. You're listening to thank WORT. You. Thank you. Uh, for our listeners who are just tuning in now, I'm speaking with Maria Elena Scott, also goes by Maria in her book, Love Letter to My Brother Juan. And she just read an opening poem for us. Thank you, Maria, the bilingual person that I am. And I I really wanted you to read this because you start by saying, I'm a Madison, Wisconsin transplant. And I think our listeners who are in nine counties will really tune in with that word. Um, I want to talk to you about the construction of the book. Okay. And, and for our listeners who can't see it, I'm going to describe it. So there's like uh, the top part looks like a handwritten letter. The bottom part, um, it looks like there's a bottom of a letter. 
Can you talk about how the construction of this book came to be? And just to preface it for our listenership, I want to say the sections. So part one, childhood in Mexico. Part two, first impressions. Part three, John's letters and poetry. Part four, dead ends and mums the word. Part four, back to Kendall Avenue. Part five, final words. This is a lovely book, and I love I love the prose blocks. I love the poems and the white space you use, and how you bring it all together. Can you talk about the construction of this book somewhat? Well, um, I found myself uh, finding um, poems that I had written a while ago, and. Uh, sounding very similar to my prose. And I thought, um, well, I should probably see what I can do with this. And that's how I decided to put both poetry and prose together. And then when I knew that I'd be talking about um, my childhood in Mexico, it just seemed um, unnatural to follow through with... um, um, to follow through with the direction that um, that entailed in my being adopted. And um, so that's the first couple of, of, um, of chapters. And then the, uh, the first two parts. And then the, the part, the reason I decided to have a part three with just my brother's letters and poetry, was really to honor him because he he also was a writer and a poet. And so that's how that came about. Um, part four came about when I um, unpacked an old, old, well-sealed uh, box that uh, had come from our life in Arizona. And in it, I found um, a royal blue notebook, which was what I had written at the time that I went back to Mexico to look for my mother, to look for our birth parents. So um, as I was looking through that, I was um, inviting the reader to come along on this journey with me. And that's where Dead Ends and Mom's the Word um, was created. Um, Then, um, let's see, where are we? Part five. Then part five, part four, back to Kendall Avenue. Um, I I wanted to separate the beginning part of um, first impressions about Kendall Avenue and when I I was adopted till the ending part. So that's how that um, came about. And then part five was just uh, final words. It seemed seemed a no-brainer to kind of just put in some final words on my experience having gone back to Mexico and what I discovered and what I didn't discover. So, um, so that's kind of how, how it developed. Well, it's, and I'm happy with it. There's so many pages in here, 139 pages. Um, it is quite a marvel. And I do really like how the poems and the prose echo each other. And years mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. I did this too, um, where I had like, a story, and then there was a poem with the story. So mm-hmm, it's really mm-hmm. beautiful. 
Um, Thank you. And I will talk more about the construction and, and mention some of the folks that you put in the back um, here that you thank. But I wonder if we could um, just start by reading sections from part one, Childhood in Mexico. But I, okay. I've got a question for you before we start. You have an opening quote in here from Gilda Radner. Life, right. life is, not a, is about not knowing. Life is about not knowing, having to change, taking the moment and making the best of it without knowing what's going to happen next. Why did you choose that particular quote, Maria? It really spoke to me. I, I really felt that my whole life um, has been about not really knowing what to expect, especially coming from um, Matamoros, Mexico, and then being adopted um, and having to change and then taking the moment and making the best of it. I feel like I have tried to do that all of my life. Um, and then the not knowing what's going to happen next um, is also part of that. Um, what I try to do is to to make the best of what's not knowing what mm -hmm. tomorrow is going to bring. We can pretend that we know, but in reality, we really don't. We so don't, do we? I mean, yeah, we really don't. Um, so I'm going to um, ask you to read a couple of the beginning acts, and I love the act, Act 1, Act 2. How did you do, how did you come up with that uh, idea? Well, um, when I was writing, I noticed that um, I used a lot of color and uh, color words. Um, and to me, I, I visualized it as um, a screenplay, kind of. I visualized mm. um, what was happening in that act as being um, a TV show kind of thing. Um, so... That's how that came about, instead of using traditional chapters. Mm -hmm. No, I love it. I love the, the theater aspect of using that, too. Mm -hmm. If okay. you would please grace us by reading Act 1 and Act 2, and then Ode to a Mexican Morning Glory poem, and then we'll talk a little bit okay. about these. Okay, sure. Remembering the Leaving, Act 1. When my mother crossed the border for the first time that dusty, dry summer, we were not at her side. Please take good care of my children, she requested, bending down to kiss the two of us goodbye. We were three and four years old when this happened. My brother Juan and I were unceremoniously received by the black and whiteness of several amorphous shades. I remember them being much more black than white. Our mother had placed us with the nuns at La Guarderia de Niños Orphanage in Matamoros, Tamaulipas, Mexico. Alone and planning to return, once she found a job on the other side of the bridge, she had entrusted us to the Augustine religious order and to each other. She must have known that keeping us together would help us endure her leaving us behind to look for work. When we heard the cold clang of the chain link gate close, I'm certain my brother and I must have clung to each other and cried, moving away from the just iron smell of blackness surrounding us. Mama! Mama! Crossing the bridge southward in my dream state, she would visit us often at the beginning, bringing with her a Cracker Jack surprise to her visits. 
later on, it was my brother Juan who would tell me that she came to visit, that she left a treat for me. He said that they tried but couldn't find me in this block-sized large guarderia orphanage. Besides, she was always in apuros, in a hurry. I always believed him. I do not know the exact point in time when she stopped walking the span that linked her life with ours. It was unannounced, not like the first separation, not abrupt. The realization of this loss, the state of being orphaned, happened over months and years of time passing. Mm. Act 2. La Guarderia de Niños Grounds. La Guarderia took up a full block's worth of space. Its many buildings were constructed of gray cinder blocks. They embraced a large open-air space or courtyard. The two exceptions were the on-the-grounds chapel, old and wooden, and probably the very first building on the site. Behind the chapel was a broken-down shed, also wooden. On the northwest corner of the compound was a new sterile building. It was situated slightly back from a dirt berm. The currents of the rainy season created a chocolate con leche colored river there. The rainy season made the berm each year less and less stable. A muddy road was next to the chain link fence on the west side. In the middle of this side was the entrance gate. A bell hung above the gate. Attached to it was a long, somewhat frayed rope. It was used to announce someone was there and wanted to come on in. To the left, if looking in from the street past the entrance, was a solitary, tall, maybe 20-foot-tall, spindly palm tree. It did not give much shade from the harsh sun, but just enough for me. I used to make small dirt pies there. A little further south on the southwest corner was the new nursery. It had three windows, which were much wider and lower than any others. This enabled visitors to walk down the narrow corridor and peek in to see what the babies were up to. The nursery was a quiet, always clean room. The smell of pine salt, talcum powder, and baby spit mm -hmm. uh, greeted you when you walked in. There was always a matronly lady in charge there. I hugged and walked around cradling the babies for hours. Next to the nursery was a rectangular building for the boys' dormitory. Abutting that building was the girls' dormitory, equal in size. There was a closet to the farthest left when going in, complete with a closet pole installed and not a one coat hanger. I remember hunting for my uniform at the bottom of the closet floor to get ready for school in the mornings. Venetian blinds covered the front and back windows. There was a room for about 10 cots there, but at that time, we were just a few girls and a few boys. Behind the dorms was another narrow corridor, just like the one in front of the dormitories, a small swatch of land, and then the 12-foot chain-link fence. There was a larger terrace with orange floor tiles that separated the girls' dorm from the girls' and boys' bathrooms. These buildings made up the south side. De la guarderia. <clears throat> In that southeastern corner was a large cement water tower, another open area than the kitchen. Next to it was a pantry and a storeroom. 
The large dining room took up most of the eastern side. The next large building was the nuns' quarters. This was the only wall that was not chain-link. It was made of cinder blocks instead. Dollops of spiked broken glass were stuck on top of this wall. On the north side of the complex and across the large open courtyard was the oldest building in the complex, La Capilla, the chapel. It was one of only two buildings not constructed of gray cinder blocks. Instead, they were made of wooden planks. The other was an older wooden shed storage for all kinds of unused things like old mattresses and garden tools. It was situated at the northeastern corner. The chapel was modest in size with an inverted V-shaped roof. A small palm tree, the kind that has many pleated fan-shaped fronds, stood facing the boys' dormitory. Next to this young palm was an older, friendlier mulberry tree. It had several low-friendly branches for all to climb on. It faced the girls' dormitory. Ode to a Mexican Morning Glory I remember waking up at dawn in Matamoros, sleepwalker to a mural of stars against green wet vines behind the girls' dormitory. Dewdrop jewels glisten on a carpet of sleeping grass. My bare feet moist as I reach for a single, just right, creamy white morning glory. Communion before daybreak. A gentle caress, a soft pull, lips taste, savior, savor, pliant flower food. I remember the imprint of pollen-formed freckles on my nose. Oh, how that golden dust made me feel tall, weightless, limber, loved for an hour or two, or until the magic powder had gently lifted to my toes, had gently sifted to my toes, and all I could do was await the dawn. Oh, thank you. You really take us there. Um, you place us in this location. The Act 1 and Act 2 for listeners are big chunks of prose block, and then they're kind of capped with this ode to a Mexican morning glory. And you are the Mexican morning glory in this poem, I see, Maria. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you. <laughs> I, I just love this. I want to let listeners know we're listening to WORT 89.9 FM Community Radio, and we are speaking with Maria Elena Scott, and I'm going to read your bio. Maria Elena Scott is a Mexican-American Chicana bilingual writer and poet, a graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, former bilingual educator for 25 years. Her works can be found in the following... Woodland Patterns, Creativity, and Aging Anthology, Come Be a Memorist, 2010. The Wednesday Writers Anthology, Each Ear Hears a Different Meaning, 2013. Great Poems of Resistance and Fortitude, devoted to November 9th, 2016, 2017. Yellow Medicine Review, a Journal of Indigenous Literature, Art, and Thought, Spring 2019 and Fall 2019 editions. And your panel reading proposal, of which I was a part, was accepted for the 2020 Split This Rock Poetry Festival, Poems of Provocation and Witness. Uh, That, unfortunately, was canceled due to COVID. And then an excerpt from your hybrid memoir, Love Letter to My Brother Juan, was published in South Florida Poetry Journal in February of 2021. 
and then I want people to know, Maria, that we're also friends, and that I remember yeah. inviting you to read your poetry um, at the ACLU of Wisconsin's gallery night many years ago now. I, I remember that. That was such fun. It was such a good time, and it was you and yeah. Lenore and me and Carmen Murguia, and um, yeah. it was a exhibit that was um, in honor of immigrants, as I recall. That's right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I've thought of great. you often um, as we've gone through these years and with the children being locked up. I know you and myself are pretty open on Facebook about how we feel about that. Um, right. And in reading right. your book, um, I understand how that impacted your heart more so um, than maybe right. other folks. So, um, right. yeah. Okay, well, um, if you could read... Act four, final gift of knowing, and then um, let's talk about that one when you're done. Okay. Okay. As Mexican children living in Ache uh, Matamoros, my younger brother Juan and I could easily sense other people's innermost intentions and each other's needs. To do this, we willed our spirits to follow an invisible pathway between earth and sky. This led us to what we had always known on the other side of being born. This extrasensory energy allowed us to perceive at a primal level. We could tell whether a person had good or evil intentions. We could answer if a person had positive or negative energy or just plain neutral energy walking around in the world. We have always been able to do this and still can. It is this knowing, it is this very knowing that has brought us to the here and now. This awareness has helped us live to count five decades plus. My brother and I could also sense each other's needs. It is as if we had been born twins swimming in a single pool of amniotic birth water or like salmon find our way home to safety and to each other. A final gift bestowed on us by our birth parents' genetic markers and fate to develop and use. We employed a hyper-awareness sense as we grew up and survived tumultuous changes. I was a happy enough child in the orphanage as long as I knew my brother was nearby. Together, we explored every inch of the orphanage from the lemon, guava, and lime orchard to the western wall behind the nuns' quarters. This wall was made from the same cement bricks as the new buildings. The top of the wall had broken shards of bottled glass, green, amber-brown, and clear sticking up from globs of cement. I often wondered, was this sharp-peaked landscape intended to keep bad people out or orphan dreamers in? Hmm. When you describe, and you did this in the earlier pieces, about these broken shards of bottled glass in this manner, I'm reminded uh -huh. of Carolyn Frechet's poem, The Colonel, and she describes that, what she saw in El Salvador. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Same thing. Yeah. Right, right. So, Maria, I ask you to read this, and I want to talk about it, because you name something that um, is... I wonder if you still have this um, ability, but I had this ability too as a young, very mm -hmm. young person. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because we're both, you know, have Mexican roots 
Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's something that you've explored, but I wanted to honor this because I am like this as well. And I've never mm-hmm. met mm-hmm. anyone who put it in words like this before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you still have that yeah. ability? Um, I, I do, although it's not as sharp as it used to be. But um, I still I still do have that ability to to sense people's energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is a life skill. And uh, I remember being yeah. not quite two and having that ability. And people don't mm-hmm. understand how much little babies know and remember. That's right. They That's just right. don't. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I just wanted to honor that. And um, thank you. These are gifts that we have in my family. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it comes and goes. Yeah. Okay. So just to bring us back to the book, um, if you could read, and I hope you have some water with you because you're reading a lot. I do. I do. <laughs> okay. But these <laughs> are you. these are beautiful sections. And like normally when you read a poem, it would be maybe one, you know, section of this. But these are longer pieces. So. Right. Yeah. Is there anything you want to say about Act Four? The last line is so evocative. Was this sharp peaked landscape intended to keep bad people out or orphan dreamers in? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wondered, um, I, I knew that it was to keep bad people out, okay. but then I also, as a young child, wondered, you know, like, if I had wanted to leave, could I leave? Okay. If I wanted to explore mm-hmm. more, could I explore what was on the other side? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't. Mm-hmm. So it probably comes from that, from yeah remembering as a child and looking at that those sharp shards of glass and wondering could I climb out and what would be on the other side right. we sometimes heard um, music and smelled uh, barbacoa mm. you know they'd be grilling out or they'd be playing music but um, I knew it was intended to keep bad people out okay okay and and at the same time, orphan dreamers in. <laughs> so it was both, I think. Yeah. As, I, as, as, I, as I'm speaking about it, I think it was to do both. Right. Um, would you like to read Act 5 and 6 for us? Sure. He always climbed back. My brother climbed the 12-foot chain-link fence that surrounded La Guarderia and escaped to La Plaza. He used the northwest corner, which was closest to the center of town. This central square faced La Catedral del Sagrado Corazón, Sacred Heart Cathedral. Why would he go there? I will tell you. It was the custom for newlyweds to throw pesos, coins, to the waiting crowd of invited well-wishers. Juan must have heard the cathedral bell announcing the end of the wedding mass. Time to get to work. Mm -hmm. He scrambled to gather as many pesos as he could. There was an abarrotes, small shop, a few blocks between La Plaza and La Guarderia. The owner liked us. He sometimes gave us overripe bananas on our way home from school. Juan spent his money there and brought treats back to the orphanage for me. Sometimes candy, like a favorite one called pirulí. 
This was an inverted cone made of pure hard sugar on a stick, flavored. Sometimes he brought chiclets gum, sometimes even a box of Cracker Jacks. On lucky days, when Juan scrambled and scrambled and found many coins, he would climb back over the fence with a bottle or two of fruit-flavored sodas in glass bottles, refrescos called jarritos. My favorite was always the tamarindo-flavored one. Sometimes my brother wanted to surprise me, so he would look for me. He would find me either mopping the large dining room or doing some other chore. He would be real quiet-like, place the treat near me, maybe inside an open door, and sneak away. When When I found the amazing gem of a treat, I was perplexed surprised and happy. He must have waited to see my contented face devour that hard-earned treat. For the longest time, Juan let me believe that it was our mother who returned to see us and left treats. It was much later in our adulthood that I realized those many treats I attributed to being mama bought treats were really brother bought and brought back to make me happy. Mm, that's such love and <clears throat> such love. Thank you. Act six. My brother, he's my brother, he's my mother. I imagine a scene in a dark alley across from La Plaza Central in Matamoros. Enter stage right. A scraggly faced gumshoe wearing a black hat angled just so, puffing and chewing on a stubby cigar. He is interrogating me while twisting my right arm. Who brought you treats from the outside? Aware of the trouble my brother Juan and I are in, I think of not answering, or worse, committing a venial sin and lying. I decide to tell the truth. My mother, blinding me with his flashlight on my face, tell me the real truth, kid. The hunched gumshoe twists my arm a little bit more. My b- b- brother, no, my mom, mother, he twists my arm a bit more and still shines the flashlight. Visibly upset and trying to stay calm amid the acrid uh, cigar smoke billowing all around me, the questioning begins again. Repeat above dialogue. So, it's a mystery, I take it. The detective states, I shake my head, yes, wishing he'd let go of my arm. He does turn off the flashlight. Uh, um, Okay, then, you must leave town anyway. He lets go of my arm, puts out the cigar butt with the ball of his scruffy black shoe. Don't let me catch you around here after sundown, is the last I hear of him. I dash to a friendly hibiscus shrub throw up as the frame fades and the camera pans away. Mm. That's such a scene. I want to go back to five. He always climbed back. Uh-huh. And I just, I love the scene in here, how much love between you and your brother as he goes and risks quite a bit to bring back sweet treats. Um, and right. the overripe banana too, that was a treat my grandmother always loved. She did it with a spoon. Oh, really? Yes. And I, read I know this. few people that do. Yes. People do. I still do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so sugary, right? Yeah. 
Right, exactly. And and it is yeah. like pudding when it gets to that point. Yes. Right, exactly. Right. And in reading yeah. your book, I, I, would it. I was going back and forth across the border with you, Maria, reading this book. Because certain oh, things, really? yes, because certain things we brought from Mexico as well. And overripe bananas uh-huh. is one. Um, okay. <laughs> I love the language in the last line of Act 6, he's my brother, he's my <laughs> mother, when you say, I dash to a friendly hibiscus shrub, because nature's your friend, <laughs> as opposed to this detective yes. who's twisting your arm. Um, right, right. Yeah. It comes from uh, Chinatown. Do you know that that movie, Chinatown? No. Yeah, it kind of it kind of mimics that, a scene from from that movie. Um, yeah so interesting you know that you bring up a good point because as poets we're like the sum of every movie and song and scene and story and you know I love how you bring that up because you're you're bringing in something that other people may not know that that's really cool and it fits with your acts too the way you've done that very nice yeah okay um, are you okay to read Act 7? Sure. Okay. Okay. Be happy to. Who will climb to the top of the mora tree? Early summertime brought bloom to fruit in the largest tree in the place. This elegant, multi-branched mulberry stood adjacent to the chapel. Its high branches formed long fingers that in a breeze seemed to tickle the chapel's tie tilted roof. The friendly trunk bore several inviting curved arms, step holds for the climbers. Each season we wondered, who will be the one to climb all the way up to the tippy top of the mulberry tree? A ver quien será. Let's see who will be the one. The one to risk crashing down to the dusty, sun-baked, stone-hard ground. The one who may even end up with one or more broken bones. Who will take that chance? Don't look at me. No, no way. The fruit-laden heaviness of the branches was not lost on the neighborhood birds. They happily ate most of the easy pickings, then flew away. We all knew that the plumpest, sweetest berries were hidden underneath the highest branches. My mouth waters thinking about the sweetness of the dark purple, if ripe, burst the flavor of a single mulberry. My brother told me that once a very brave boy climbed all the way up. He ended up falling hard to the stiff ground, had a broken arm, and died. Glad I wasn't there for this scene. On the northern side of the chapel was a small clump of citrus trees. The lemon and lime fruit juices we considered common, taken for granted for their abundance. Their love of this just-right combination of sunshine and nutritious soil. Their fruit, of course, was sour with thick, oily coverings. We didn't mind the sourness, and if you forget how the citrus oiliness felt if you got it in your eyes, just go ahead and rub your eyes right after peeling a ripe lemon. Remember that awful feeling? Do not repeat. Remember uh, that awful stinging. Yeah. Excuse me. Remember that awful stinging. Yeah. Do not repeat. I love that scene because how many times are you cutting something and you touch your eye and you're like, oh no, 
Um, right. And I like how the mulberry tree is in your pieces. It was in the early piece that you read and in this one as well. Um, I grew up with a couple of mulberry trees and spent a lot of time reading and writing in mulberry trees. And I always, oh. I, I love mulberry That's trees. So cool. Yeah. They're um, friendly. Did you ever add cream with your mulberries? No, I don't think I have. Yeah, we used to do that, a little cream and sugar, or carnation milk. We would use that, too, sometimes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's very rich. Very. <laughs> yeah, well, my husband comes from a dairy farm family, and he's like, why are you using oh. carnation milk? That is terrible. I'm like, well, I kind of grew up with it, you know. I do like yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's what we used to make a jeta. Mm. Carnation evaporated milk. Mm-hmm. Or was it evaporated milk or no? No, it was carnation evaporated milk. Yeah. Okay, it was the same can with a with a, a rose on the label or yes. carnation. No, and, it was the carnation, hence the name. Yeah, and you have a Hello. piece in here where you talk about how you open those cans, you know? Right, and that's I, right. I was visualizing it, and then my mind just went someplace else instead of on the carnation I love it. image of the can, on the can, yeah. So you are listening to WORT-FM 89.9 Community Radio. We're listening to Maria Elena Scott read from Love Letter to My Brother Juan. And I think this is a good point, uh, Maria, to talk about found text. And for people who don't know what found text is, which is part of this book, can you just let them know? Sure. Uh, found text can be anything like a... For instance, some letters, which um, which there's a copy of uh, a photograph I took and sent to the woman that t- that did the cover. Mm-hmm. So it can be uh, anything like letters. I also found um, my uh, small notebook where I took notes while I was in Mexico. That can be also found text. Anything that you find that um, makes it into your book for some reason or another. Um, I also uh, have one of the acts is a a card that my brother sends. It's a thank you card, which let me believe, let me know that he uh, enjoyed the trip to Mexico that we took together, even though his need to go wasn't as intense as mine. Mm-hmm. My need to go was based on identity. I needed to know where I came from, mm-hmm. and I needed to find out um, what we could about our, our birth parents. And he was just kind of coming along for the ride. But mm-hmm. the found card that I that I used in the book is a, another example of found text. In, in certain poems in here, you talk about finding your blue notebook. And That's right. I think it's so interesting when we find old writings as writers, and mm-hmm. memory mm-hmm. is this imperfect thing. Um, and you talk about that in this piece. But when I teach, sometimes I say we write to discover, and you want to surprise Correct. yourself. And I always talk about how the pen for me is ahead of my brain, or even where I'm willing to admit I am at the moment. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. did you find that to be true in writing this and as I look at the construction um, in your memoir you don't use I a lot you have a lot of really good description 
So I know you took some classes and I know you've been writing and you had writers groups for a long time. And I know we were right. talking earlier about how people struggle to find writer community. And yet you seem to have found it in Milwaukee when I knew you and, and now where you right. live now. Can you talk about like the importance of community and networking for poets? Sure. Sure. Um, well, um, Wednesday Writers has been a big part of, of keeping up with my writing, and we try to meet every Wednesday, and I'm usually one that makes it every Wednesday, except for the time frame when I was teaching um, elementary bilingual school. Um, and before moving out here to Richmond, Virginia, I uh, Googled um, writers groups, um, you know, um, Latina writer looking for a group to to meet with, you know, and um, I got a response mm. from um, from uh, the woman who put together um, let me see River City Poets, Joanna Lee, um, and she put together that group and had and has still now. Um, meets on on Mondays, like every other Monday, and teaches lessons. And also um, every other Monday, there's uh, an opportunity to share with the community, with a group of people, to share your writing and to receive feedback. So I wanted to make sure that when I left Milwaukee and taken the classes there, that I knew to come to a place that um, would have something for me as well as something for my husband. Um, we moved because of a job opportunity for him. Mm -hmm. So I was, I'm thankful that um, I met River City Poets through Joanna Lee, and I've been doing some stand-up, not stand-up. Um, well, yeah, it's sort of like stand-up, but not comedy. <laughs> but, I mean, it could be, but uh -huh. anyway, I've, I've done some of that here, and um, I have attended attend conferences. Hmm. I've attended the James River Writers Conference. Um, that's where I met uh, April Eberhardt, who is a, a literary agent who okay. was giving a master class. Okay. Um, and um, she, her class was titled Roadmap to Publishing, okay. and she gave an example uh, of someone that she had uh, helped, and she couldn't find uh, traditional publishing helping her, so she was able to help her in a way. And so I reached out to her, and she liked my project and recommended um, a person, Terry Person, to do the layout. Um, and he recommended Fiona Jade, uh, who visualized the cover with uh, the actual letter from Juan. She liked to use actual pieces of, of uh, material from mm -hmm. whenever she did a cover for memoir. Hmm. Um, um, so then, uh, who else do I think? I think Marita Golden. Uh, because I took a master class from her uh, was January 2020, I think it was. 
before the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she just, uh, she thought that the hybrid model was working well and that I should just keep doing it. And I'm thankful to her. Um, there was about a dozen other writers working on similar projects and we loved, um, the energy of that community. So we've been keeping going. Nice. We now are called um, Sister Scribes. We're oh. a group of eight that meets um, every every once a month. Okay. Every that... third third Saturday. And then there's Frisha. I can't forget my dear Frisha yes. McKee. She um, she's an excellent teacher. Um, I took micro memoir classes from her, and some of those micro memoirs have made it to my book. So I can't thank her enough. Um, she also did some line editing for me nice. for the book. Yeah. And you and I so, and her are going to be reading together. Do you want to let listeners know about that? Because it's a, it's a virtual offering, so people could tune in. That's true. That's going to be um, May 12th. And it's going to uh, be out of Wednesday, out of uh, Woodland Pattern Book Center in Milwaukee, um, and it'll be a celebration of my book again. Mm-hmm. It'll be um, we'll each take about ten minutes. Um, you and Frisia will each highlight some of your important work that you've finished doing, um, and then I'll take a little bit longer. And we'll do a question and answer type thing at the end. And it should be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. What is so nice about having this platform of Madison BookBeat is being able to bring in writers that I know and that I have heard read poems over decades now. Um, yes. And, and Frisha was someone I met when she was 16. Um, oh, my goodness. Yes, I was... Um, I was the poet for the ACLU of Wisconsin's other, the Other America Tour, and I would come in and talk about feminism and civil liberties and civil rights, and, and that's where I met her. And um, I didn't know that. That's yes, wonderful. Yes. I, that's cool. I, I find communities important and networking is important. And when I was in Seattle, if you ever moved to Seattle, you want to join Los Norteños, which is a writer's group out there. So Okay. Yeah. I can't believe it, but we are really into our hour here, and so we've had a really good conversation, but it went much quicker than I anticipated, Maria. Okay, that's, uh, a, that's a good thing. <laughs> well, I want to encourage everyone to get your book, because it is lovely, um, with the found text, with the acts, with the poems in between, the use of the white space, the sejuras you you provide, your M dashes, like your attention to craft in the poems is really high level. And I wanted to just Thank you. tell you that, that um, I really enjoyed it. And there were times Thank I was you. really moved by your work. And um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Coming from you, thank you. I really appreciate that. It was just <laughs> beautiful. And I love how you intersperse the Spanish and the English. And you know I'm not bilingual. But I am able to understand and read everything, and um, it's mm-hmm. there. But I, yeah. I know that there was a piece that you wanted to close with. If you still like to close with it, I would like to introduce that piece to the listeners. Sure, that sounds good. 
Okay. So, uh, folks, we're going to read a poem. Maria's going to read a poem. And just want to let you know, um, if you have a little one in the area, you might want to turn it off and come back. This show will be available on SoundCloud. Um, but we just want to provide people with a, a little bit of, a, of a, an advance notice. And if you want to introduce the poem, Maria, you go right ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, this poem is related to uh, Mr. Tormey. The, the act before the poem is Mr. Tormey gets sick. And in that act, I talk about um, something happens and uh, it, it's a horribly confusing thing that happens in my room. And I started feeling like I was drowning every time. I couldn't breathe. I don't remember exactly how long this childhood sexual abuse lasted, um, but I do remember when it stopped. And so um, the poem is uh, related to Act One, Mr. Tormey Gets Sick. So here's the poem, Forever Drowning. After weeks of soothing springtime warmth in the midst of a cold snap, Haunting images roll over me. Unprepared, my guard is down. All of my energy is sucked out the window. I'm unable to hold up the shield, the self-forged mirrored one that directs the ugliness back to you. Sickly old man, abuser, you win again. I walk about the rooms a sleepwalker, numbed by the memories. Sickly old man, abuser, you win again. And the pain, so great, the pain, a scraped empty forever unfilled. I can't place the protecting shield, the one that slings the crusted mud back to you, the shield that repels the stabbing shame from me to you. Sickly old man, abuser, you win this time. I find safety and rest on my side of the futon, warmth under the striped feather comforter, and my tears, so many, cleansing tears. Many days and nights, I do stand strong of mind, body, and spirit. I do blaze the self-forged shield that protects me. And tomorrow, I will again. That is such a, a poem of strength. And I know it's you as an adult looking back, writing for this young girl you were. Just... A really strong poem, and I know you wanted to read it, but I want to honor what it took to write it and to share that. And and I look at this picture of you in here, Maria, when you're there with your your brother and your other little adopted brother. And people need to read the book to find out all the stories in here. But you look so happy in that piece because you got your brother with you. Yeah, I do. My brother's with me. Yeah, we won. You won. <laughs> <laughs> we won the battle. You did. You did. Is yeah. is um there anything you want to, to close with? It went by really fast. Just to thank you. Just to thank you for the opportunity and um, that the book can be purchased at Woodland Pattern Books, Book Center, um, and that um, next March 17th, 2023, I have a poetry book coming out called Sparks of Light Fly by Finishing Line Press. Wow, I'm so happy for you. 
We'll have to have you back. Thank you. Yes. We'll have yes. to have you back. That'd be fun. And we should That'd maybe talk about future plans together because um, we partnered well on the Split This Rock, but we never got to go. So I know. You we know? need to do something together again. Yes. We um, have May coming up, though. May we six, do. May 12th. We do. And so that'll be great. And I want people to know that poets and writers, we hang together. We do. We, we've got each other's back. Yeah. We do. Yep, we do. We have been listening to Maria Elena Scott read from Love Letter to My Brother Juan. You want to get this book. It's a beautiful cover. It's a beautiful inside. It's, uh, excuse me, not songs, but poems and prose of resilience. And, um, yeah, it's it's such full of bravery. I just applaud you. Um, Thank you so much. You I have appreciate been, that. You have been listening to Madison Bookbeat. Stay tuned this afternoon for All Around Jazz with Alex Wilding White. The Surgeon Radio Kiosk is up next. I've been your host, Angie Trudel Vasquez. Keep it tuned here to Community Radio, WORT 89.9 FM Madison.